0: Welcome to the Data Democratization Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Dobin here from Duality, along with my co-host, Alexandra Ebert from Mostly AI. Alexandra, how's it going?
1: Everything great, Jeff. And on your side?
0: All good over here. Who are we meeting with today?
1: We have a great guest today on the show again. I'll be talking to Amir Tabakovic. Amir spent over eight years as head of market development at Post Finance, which is a Swiss financial service provider. So he's particularly experienced in implementing digital innovations, business strategy development, distribution of digital financial services, and also data monetization. Nowadays, Amir is a business development executive. And he's also the chairman of the AI and data privacy expert group at Mobi Forum. He's also leading the privacy and innovation degree program at the International Institute of Management in Technology in Switzerland. So really vast experience that we have here on Amir's side.
0: Wow, Amir has a pretty, pretty impressive resume, I might, I might say. I know from speaking with Amir um, that, that he's worked on this with his group and they've recently published a... A really amazing report on privacy enhancing technologies at the Mobi Forum.
1: Absolutely. It's called the Digital Banking Blindspot Report. We'll talk about this in the episode two. And I think our listeners should definitely go check this out. There are many, many valuable takeaways in there as well.
0: Let's hear from uh, Amir then and get started.
1: Let's do that. Hi, Amir, it's really great to have you on the show today. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and also share a little bit about both your background and especially how you ended up in AI and data privacy?
2: Hi, Alexandra, Thanks for having me here. Um, I am 44 years old, currently living in Switzerland. I studied economics, but always worked in technology, medical diagnostics, web technologies, fintech, machine learning, privacy enhancing technologies. So, you could say I have a sweet spot for early stage technologies. I had my first experience with AI and privacy at the time when I was leading a data monetization project at PostFinance 10 years ago. We were trying to predict customer futures spending based on the past financial transactions and turn those predictions into lead generations for merchants. And that was a pretty bold value proposition for a bank at that time. So we were moving uh, through an uh, uncharted territory. Uh, I later joined the machine learning startup to learn more about AI, uh, only to understand that privacy remained an unsolved problem and a bottleneck for many AI projects. So now that machine learning and AI is more broadly accepted, I feel that privacy enhancing technology deserves my full attention.
1: So, one thing I would love to talk about you are really one of those persons that live and breathe innovation and you also spent 8 years at PostFinance at head of market development. Can you share with our listeners what was the most exciting project that you worked on in this time?
2: So, um uh, when I when I joined uh, PostFinance, I, I realized that you know the data is is an idle asset. Um just think of uh, all this transaction data that that lies around and also tells a story about uh, customer behavior mm-hmm. it's, it's something like a, your your daily journal you, you know you you get up you 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 purchase your first coffee on the way to work uh then you know you take public transportation and so on and so on so everything is there and this data has a huge potential to do something good to help your customer the coaching to First of all, uh, visualize this, this data in, in a way that, is, that makes this data understandable, that helps a customer to make conclusions um, and improves uh, its life. And that, that was kind of something very interesting because this is also um, the internal fight within the bank with, between good and, and, and evil. Uh, you, can, you can use these insights to help the customer uh, to uh, fulfill their financial goals, and focus on that or you can in the same time uh, learn from this data and see how can you optimize and increase the, the late fees the overdraft fees and uh, and increase the demand for consumer credits mm-hmm. and that, that's kind of the, the dark side
1: Okay, so I would definitely prefer to be a customer of the first category of banks, but I've, I've also seen plenty of these service offerings uh, popping up recently that they really help to coach you with your personal financial decisions. Just what comes to my mind, there were a few studies done that people in general are not the best when it comes to think about long-term implications and that it would be quite wise to uh, have some money on the side for, for your time in retirement. So was this also intended that this Consulting or personal finance coaching could help you to achieve your savings goals or something like that.
2: Yes, absolutely. So it, it was a really kind of step by step approach. It was the idea was to be become a customer's financial coach in a way. And the first step is to show to the customer, you know, what he does what he has Mm -hmm. then to define uh, to help him define his objectives and uh, show him you know how he can achieve those objectives so Mm -hmm. it's a a kind of it's a long journey uh, and from technical standpoint it's a complex application to build uh, but this would be something that could help customer immensely because you know we are uh, not built in a way to, to always have our long-term goals in front of us.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Since you just mentioned it was a longer process, what were, were the biggest challenges that you encountered during this project and how did you overcome those?
2: The biggest challenge for me personally was to be patient enough uh, to wait this almost five years until we came up with the first solution and introduced this solution into the market. We still managed to be um, the first bank in the DACH region uh, to come up with a PFM, which was fully integrated in the online banking application. But kind of waiting for for something for five years, it's it's tough.
1: Take some patience. Quick question, PFM for our listeners who are not in the banking space. What is a PFM?
2: PFM is a personal financial management. And it stands for exactly this kind of applications that help you on one hand to visualize your data to automatically categorize your spending in different uh, spending categories, and also to do some kind of projections of your spending, so that you get the feeling how your uh, what is your financial health index.
1: Understood, understood. And since you mentioned that really patience was was key, why did it take so long in the first place? Was it access to data, bureaucracy, that you need to convince people? What were the main aspects?
2: Well, all of that and much <laughs> more. Um, uh, access to data absolutely um, understanding um, of some simple things that the, that no customer will spend time categorizing their data themselves but that we need to build intelligence that is able to to uh, recognize what is the spending category automatically kind of yeah puts this spending in, in the right uh, bracket it, it was a bit you know you had to do it many things on your own if you wanted to to, to uh, proceed to make a step forward uh, because, especially in the beginning, you know, uh, nobody believes that this is a good idea. I you know there, are, people are are kind of saying, "Yeah, yeah, just go for it, try it," <laughs> but then uh, eventually, you know, the idea is getting momentum, and that's mm-hmm. when things get starting uh, to be very exciting
1: okay so did you have some supporters within other departments is it important to have supporters or was this something that was pulled off mainly by your uh, department of market development
2: no i, I had many de- supporters and and some of, of of those supporters became my good friends so i still have contacts with them okay. um, and you know we have regular calls and um, you know we We uh, have to acknowledge that many things uh, haven't changed (laughs) in the past 10 years. So you're kind of repeating uh, the same uh, (laughs) challenges are coming always uh, in in a different form, but it's fun.
1: That's the main point. What would you say are your top tips for listeners who also work in the banking environment and want to innovate? What were your most valuable learnings on how to speed up a process like that or just manage to put something to market eventually?
2: persistence, ability to, uh, you know, to tell uh, uh, the great story about, you know, how this solution is going to help your customer Mm -hmm. to believe in in it itself. And sometimes, even if you're not qualified in, in a certain task, which is kind of a barrier to continue is to make your hands dirty, to learn a new skill and then to bridge this and continue with your innovation.
1: That's always a good point. Can you give us a more specific example? What was this type of skill, for example, that you had to learn to make this project a success?
2: Well, uh, I, I already mentioned there was this idea of, um, you know, can we uh, make this system uh, recognize the, which, which category of spending it is? And uh, the IT told us, well, maybe this is possible, what, but we have no idea how this could work. Uh, go and figure it out yourself and then come back. OK, so so what we did at that point is, you know, we, we just um, built a query and try a few things out, uh, although we were not very kind of skilled in that. And then we found out that uh, just by implying, I think, around 100 uh, fixed rules. So even no machine learning at all, uh, you could kind of you could guess and, and, and predict around 80% of the spendings right. So wow. that's kind of a quick fix. And uh, we we could prove that this is possible and then uh, things continued, you know, in the right way. Then the data scientists came into play and we improved on the solution.
1: That sounds good. And you mentioned that even though the process took five years, you were the first that had this type of offering on the market. Now what we hear from the industry is, of course, that there is increasing pressure from all these uh, super innovative and fast neobanks. So, mm-hmm. how can large enterprises in the financial services industry actually keep up in this competitive landscape?
2: The, the banks are focusing on uh, regulations, the neobanks are focusing on technology. And, in my opinion, you know, in this game, uh, scissors, what is it, scissors, stone, Stones and paper, maybe? Paper, yeah. I think that in this kind of, you know, if we use this analogy, technology always beats regulation, but in a positive way. Mm -hmm. It's not that regulation is not there just to be in the way of innovation. It's just that it forces you to to comply with some, some things which are important in our society. And technology will find a way to fulfill, you know, both uh, the, the requirements on the one hand you want to you know uh, provide something very exciting for your customers on the other hand you want to be compliant with uh, regu- regulatory um, framework so basically you can have a cake and eat it, eat it too
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the new banks are much better in, in in doing so because they are using technologies like for example uh, privacy enhancing technologies as an example and if bank wants to keep up with that they have to change this kind of mindset and mm-hmm. And start thinking, you know, how can we, uh, and let's take privacy as an example, how can we do privacy engineering in a way that we reach our objectives, do something great for a customer and still protect customers' privacy?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would also agree that it really should be about reconciling regulatory requirements and technology and innovation. I'm glad that we live in an environment where it's not either or. But of mm-hmm. course, uh, I think that's one of the main challenges for banks to really find out the practical solutions on how to actually merge those two aspects uh, this actually brings me to my next question you're also the chair of a movie forum expert group on ai and privacy and you just issued a report with together with your team called the digital banking blind spot what is this report about and why should uh, banking leaders absolutely go and download it
2: a bit more than a year ago, I was discussing uh, with some of my colleagues from Mobile Forum that the privacy is getting more and more relevant uh, for for banks and digital services. We we realized that this is a topic that still isn't cover covered properly uh, within the bar- banking world, and uh, that's kind of the perf- perfect perfect uh, starting point for. Uh, getting uh, expert group together with different um, banks and also technology vendors and start discussing this topic. The purpose of this first paper was uh, to provide a basic understanding about the problem behind uh, the the privacy, what are the challenges and what what are the solutions for this problem. So it's a kind of basic overview. And it's uh, the target group of this sport are decision makers. So those people who actually they see they're struggling with problems, but they're far too far away from operative work to understand uh, why the okay. regulation is, is, is stopping them, for example.
1: So you say they're not aware about the reasons why they're having the problems that they're facing. What is the digital blind spot? I mean, do we have to download the report to find out or can you give us some of the high level takeaways, uh, what the reasons behind the problems are?
2: Well, I'm sure the, the expert group would appreciate if, if as many people as possible uh, download um, the, the paper. Uh, so please do, uh, because uh, especially the, it has some very interesting visualizations, uh, graphics, that uh, even if i would like to i'm not able to <laughs> describe <laughs> yes the, audio
1: format definitely makes it a little bit difficult to go this exactly. discharge but i also have seen them so i can highly recommend to the listeners to just type into google Mobi forum report the digital banking blind spot to download the full report but just the high level takeaways would be great
2: exactly so back to your question uh, alexander uh, why blind blind spot it's because On one hand, there are are plenty of processes within the bank which are not privacy compliant. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And banks are not aware of that that fact. On the other hand, there are uh, processes which are not privacy compliant, but the banks are not capable of replacing them with the privacy compliant ones because those processes are, let's say, mission critical for banks. Mm -hmm. I heard from many banks that which are complaining, look, I know that we are not compliant but we can't stop testing our solutions and we need for example uh, some uh, we are using uh, production data Uh, we are looking for uh, uh, another solution but we couldn't find anything uh, yet
1: Yeah, I agree. This is also something that we hear from plenty of clients and prospects and why we are now also building uh, more sophisticated testing capabilities in our synthetic data platform so that people can actually fulfill these requirements finally with some super realistic production-like data. Yes. And and then the
2: the last point is innovation. So there is this common belief that innovation and privacy are not... You can't merge both. You can't merge both. It doesn't work. And yes, uh, we already mentioned this problem uh, within uh, in, within our discussion. That um, this means that this is kind of a common belief. No, you can't uh, be innovative and privacy compliant. So let's stop being innovative. And many many banks then just you know just uh, kill too many good ideas mm-hmm. uh, because they they are not aware that there are solutions that would help them to uh, realize those in- innovation in a privacy compliant way.
1: Okay, but uh, what's your belief on that? So can banks continue to say no to innovation or do you believe that only those who are mature enough and and digitally mature enough and innovative and forward looking enough will stay on top of the game versus the others will have challenges with all the emerging neobanks and and keeping the customer base? What's your take on that?
2: Well, definitely. the, the more mature you are the more resources, re- resources you have to invest in, in, in this kind of privacy enhancing technologies you know the better start you will get um, um, and we all, already see some banks that already have this head start um, when it comes to privacy and the thing is that um, it's interesting that this kind of uh, privacy regulation uh, led to increased competition and the privacy is, end, is becoming a competitive space for banks. Yeah, yeah. That's something that you wouldn't uh, actually expect. You know, the, the banks uh, are used to see regulation as a more defensive weapon. And in this case, uh, you could actually uh, look at privacy regulation as something that could be used as offensive weapon
1: yeah yeah I absolutely and can see how this is happening because we also saw it in other in other industries where privacy protection suddenly became the competitive edge, and the reasons why today's more educated consumers actually decide to to do business with you. You mentioned that this report also covers emerging privacy-enhancing technologies as really the practical solutions on how to reconcile privacy and mm-hmm. regulations and innovation. Uh, can you give us an overview? What are these most promising emerging privacy-enhancing technologies?
2: The, at the moment, the hottest privacy-enhancing technologies are, if we look at in the hardware corner, we will find trusted trusted execution environment. Mm-hmm. Then, if we look at the software side, uh, there are uh, different uh, interesting uh, technologies like AI generated synthetic data. You uh, know about the, that one? <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you should know something about that. Uh, homomorphic encryption, mm-hmm. then federated learning, um, secure party computation. That would be a few of the most important ones. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, perfect. And what would you say are the most important use cases for each one of those uh, technologies, or maybe if you can give one or two examples?
2: Like in the paper that we wrote at Mobi Forum, we we are focusing uh, on analytics. Um, mm-hmm. and analytics, or is just uh, one of the components of this entire data um, value chain. So analytics and exchange are two very important areas where we expect that privacy enhancing technologies. Will thrive, mm-hmm. and then the what what we can say is the questions are always you know which one to pick. Yeah, uh, you can say uh, you know if it's important how you perform analytics, uh, then you could uh, maybe focus on something where uh, that does encrypted analytics. If it's question about where the analytics is performed, then uh, you would maybe look into the secure environment. So, uh, as, as I already mentioned, trusted execution environments, or decentralized approach like uh, federated learning, or when it's about data. So, if you wanna if you wanna focus on data and anonymization, then probably statistically representative fake data would be a very uh, good way to go.
1: Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And for more details, I think now we are at the point where listeners have to finally uh, download the digital banking blind spot report. What would you say? What's the current state within uh, banking and and enterprise environments? How do they handle data right now? Are they making use of these emerging privacy enhancing technologies? Or if not, what are the major challenges in adoption of them?
2: Yes, um, they've been using these kind of technologies, although many of those technologies are still in the early stage. So there are kind of two approaches to that. Uh, the one is uh, exper- experimenting with these kind of approaches in the form of proof of concepts, uh, pilots, and trying to, f- to provide some kind of proof that this works and can improve some processes. And that's that's kind of a more kind of slow way to proceed it's more bottom-up approach. And then on the other side, you have have players that uh, bet heavily on privacy-enhancing technologies, where this is one of the highest priorities um, from the technological perspective. That's uh, something that is kind of, the the whole thing is top-down. Many different departments are brought into the projects uh, working together to get the maximum out of the technologies. They are working with the vendors to improve these technologies because some solutions are still not mature. And they are getting kind of uh, the maximum possible at the moment out of, of, of these techn- kind of technologies.
1: Yeah, interesting to see the different approaches in the market. Uh, there was also one recommendation from Gartner to start early on with these uh, technologies and really think about how to implement them, how to utilize them, grow together with the vendors. So uh, I would, or I see actually quite good examples in the industry from banks taking the latter approach. But yeah, of course, in general, what we see is more the mature and know inno- or digitally mature and innovative banks really working with these technologies at the moment and those who are not at the forefront of innovation still being a little bit uh, reluctant or, as you highlighted in the report, not yet aware of the issues or the reasons yeah. for the issues that they're facing and these emerging technologies actually being a way out of their dilemmas.
2: I, I'm, I'm actually waiting for the, for the moment where I will stumble upon uh, someone who is working for a privacy engineering team at the bank. Because often, you know, um, things has to be formalized in a bank. You have to put, you know, a, a box somewhere in the organigram of a bank to get things moving. And uh, you know, few years ago, you know, you, you you saw, for example, first data science teams popping up. Now this is kind of not a not a novelty at all. Uh, I think it's time is ready for privacy engineering teams. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So would you say that currently in banks, there's a clear responsibility when it comes to privacy?
2: Not yet, no. Um, the topic is all around the place, different departments. Yes, sometimes departments like innovation security or legal or are, are involved. Other, are in, in other occasions, um, the initiative starts uh, from business that have to, has to solve some issues, improve some things then sometimes it's a very technical uh, topic that is where, for example, IT infrastructure start the initiative or a data science team that that is just exploring new, new ways to work with data. So it's still not very structured uh, approach.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's also not yet interdisciplinary enough from uh, what you described in one of our earlier conversations, or is it?
2: it's not inter- inter- interdisciplinary and that's a crucial thing is to get this knowledge and skills together mm-hmm. uh, how can you uh, how can you move forward in a way that uh, people from information security department from legal department for business and from technology first of all they all speak the same language then also have also all the common objectives you know we want to bring this company forward it's there is not one department that always breaks and other that you know pushes on on, on the gas pedal, uh, but to work together and to overcome the privacy-related obstacles.
1: Yeah. yeah, this reminds me actually of one of the early episodes I recorded with the head of data governance from Swisscom who also emphasized that in today's environment, it's the obligations of data governance people, privacy people to not just put on the brakes and say no, but actually to collaborate and help the business side to, to reach the objectives and find solutions on how innovation and and data privacy protection can be reconciled. Okay, so having clear responsibility and also having an interdisciplinary approach uh, to it, what else is important for banks to really make it right?
2: It's crucial for the banks to establish some um, common practices how to uh, deal with privacy Within the processes and within the product development uh, process, uh, process, and that's uh, all. All this going is going into the direction of privacy by design uh, principles that has to be uh, uh, implemented across the organization. And therefore, uh, you need first to understand, you know, what are the requirements, uh, what are the technologies that you have to use to achieve those uh, principles, and then also to. Um, to train the all 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 people who are involved in those processes yeah. to to work together in that direction
1: That's actually a good point uh, that you're mentioning, training the people. Um, We've talked a lot about enterprise level data management and privacy strategies, but what does this actually mean for the professionals working in this field, especially in financial services? Uh, You also give lectures at university. So what kind of skills are necessary in the workforce? What do you teach your students to really be able to combine innovation and, and privacy in practice?
2: So there is not one there is no one skill that is uh, crucial it's a combination of different skills we are talking about area which requires combination of different skills so it's interdisciplinary field where you uh, need certain understanding of the business processes of the um, privacy technologies also uh, of, of legal framework so this is everything this, this goes in the direction of you know being a generalist in in, in an area And uh, in the banks, especially, they they prefer specialists. And I think, from my perspective, I think there is a market for generalists who are able to, you know, play well in all these different fields and to bridge the gaps between different departments. And exactly that's uh, one of the purposes of this um, degree program uh, that we run uh, with the University of Freiburg is to provide... first of all, um, uh, competence from different areas. So uh, we have lecturers which are coming from innovation security, from legal tech uh, side, and also uh, business innovation, uh, business modeling, and then to to create a joint framework for privacy and to learn people how to bridge, uh, how to overcome these barriers which are around. So even kind of the fun fact is that you know, the the, the thesis, the, the final thesis of of this uh, degree program uh, goes in the direction that you have to find within your organization a project that was either stopped because of privacy or is right now kind of uh, <laughs> delayed, delayed and to find the appropriate approach to get this project back on track.
1: Okay, so I assume there are plenty of projects to choose from, at least what we hear from the market, how many things are stopped. Absolutely. <laughs> but sounds like a super valuable program. What's the name of this degree program?
2: The program is called Privacy and Innovation. Okay, and um, tries just to you know within two uh, words describe kind of the the entire specter of things that we want to cover, which is a bit difficult
1: i can imagine i can imagine uh, one point i also wanted to cover because it's surprising to me and uh, as well as uh, to you what's what we discussed in in previous conversations also coming back to this blind spot um what we see quite often is that especially in the business side the more senior managers are not really aware how data protection and privacy protections implemented in their banks. And sometimes there's not even uh, awareness on whether pseudonymization is enough, whether it has to be anonymization. And sometimes there's even confusion whether pseudonymization and anonymization isn't the exact same thing that can can be used interchangeably. So can you clarify this for for uh, the business side or for some people who are not yet aware of this? What's the difference between pseudonymization and anonymization? And why is it so important right now?
2: It's a complete chaos. Uh, When I talk with banks, um, I hear things like, no, we're good with privacy. Um, uh, We removed PII, so now we work with anonymous data, so we can do whatever we want. Uh, Everything is cool. Uh, And and this is is completely wrong in many ways. Um, And to understand why it's wrong, we have to understand the difference between uh, pseudonymized and anonymized data. Pseudonymization uh, means removing PII or personal uh, identifiable information from your data. This means that still you, um, the rest of the data is still original customer data. And as long as you link this data set with another one that contains PII or personal identifiable information, you're able to re-identify the entire cu- uh, data set, all the mm-hmm. customers within so kind of um that that can help you that, that can happen very easily and it, it was proven many times and if you want to <laughs> if you want to know more just google a bit um aol or what was help netflix or and so mm-hmm. on so many use cases where this kind of things already happened and anonymous data uh, on the other hand means that you apply different approaches that makes that render data in a way that you can't re-identify it anymore. So you can't link it back to to a real person.
1: I I think to sum it up, maybe this is also the reason why within GDPR, pseudonymization is still considered personal data. It's just an added security uh, measurement or, or measure versus anonymization is out of scope. And I think here it's also important to highlight, I mean, it's already perfectly understood in the more digitally mature organizations, but as for some other organizations, it's not yet that clear that also anonymization has to to fulfill really high standards and that there's so much research out there at the moment that really pinpoints that legacy anonymization techniques like masking and and obfuscating fail to produce fully GDPR compliant anonymous data at the moment this is also the reason why so many banks leaning towards synthetic data at the moment which can't be re-identified and therefore really gets you out of gdpr scope but yes again once again pseudonymization is still personal data anonymization that fulfills gdpr requirements is out of scope and is free to use for analytics testing and data sharing
2: Exactly, and and the, the term legacy um, harmonization techniques, uh, we can even extend it to legacy privacy enhancing techniques and that would kind of go in, in, in different other areas like access management uh, uh, and encryption and so on and so forth. The, the big issues right now, big issue right now with the banks and also other industries is that they are um, relying heavily on this kind of legacy. Uh, pets. Um, And that's why they have also this feeling of um, there is no urgency to do anything. They think that they are compliant, that everything is uh, okay until something happens.
1: That's right. That's right. So once again, go download the blind spot report to prevent this from happening to your bank. Maybe to bring it on a a higher level before we end, we just talked about the more technical aspects and the more details. Customer trust, it's arguably one of the most important assets uh, for banks. So what would you say? How can you create trust or can you keep up the trust that the customers have in you as a bank without hindering innovation?
2: Again... Privacy by design is a key. So um, I don't know if if your listener uh, know that, uh, but trust is the most valuable asset of a bank. Something that was difficult to earn, you earn it over decades, if not centuries in the banking business, and you can can lose it very easily. So instead of kind of hoping that you will get lucky enough to um, just build something that works uh, and uh, that the privacy won't get be be an issue eventually you should really kind of put uh, privacy on an agenda and actively engineer a solution that is privacy compliant not only today but also tomorrow because technology is advancing and also techniques how to, for example, re-identify customers are involved when we were talking about legacy anonymization techniques. So it's always just a question of time. If, you're, you know, if your approach will kind of, be, uh, someone, a researcher will find out the way how to uh, challenge your entire anonymization report, uh, um, approach. That's why uh, privacy by design is so crucial to, to, to maintain certain level of quality when it comes to privacy.
1: Mm -hmm. any last words remarks for privacy practitioners innovators within the banking environment anything you want to share with them
2: i I can only repeat what i already said Uh, privacy uh, is here to stay Uh, if you are innovator if you're uh, uh, someone from business you have to learn learn uh, how to manage privacy in, in the right way it's not an obstacle you can even be competitive by using privacy enhancing technologies because your customer will appreciate um, uh, your, your effort to protect their privacy. So better start sooner than later uh, learning about privacy-enhancing technologies.
1: very good last words and i completely agree that privacy can be a competitive advantage and it's quite likely going to be a competitive advantage just looking into other industries where we saw this already happening so i assume expectations from customers towards the bank on privacy protection will get even higher and therefore it's increasingly more important to reconcile innovation and privacy Thank you so much, Amir. It was super insightful to talk with somebody who has this vast experience, not only on privacy and AI, but also on the banking background. And I think this was a super valuable uh, episode for our banking listeners. So thank you very much for taking the time.
2: Thank you, Alexander, for having me.
1: It's a pleasure, thank you.
0: Well, 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 we just heard a great overview about the state of privacy in the banking space.
1: We for sure did. I think Amir has really a very good understanding of how privacy issues and related technologies are handled in the financial industry. So lots of good takeaways here. Let's pull them together. The most important and actionable takeaways for our listeners, shall we?
0: Yes, let's do it. So um, first of all, helping customers achieve their financial goals is a long and technically challenging journey. However, it's well worth the trouble for all parties involved. And Amir pointed out that really humans are not built for this long-term planning and they need help to make good financial decisions.
1: Definitely, you have to make it convenient and I think automating uh, as many things as possible is the right way to go. Second, it's important to have supporters in other departments and across the industry to make projects happen within the financial services Uh, Industry and also to exchange ideas and, of course, knowledge.
0: Absolutely. Number three, Amir gives us some top tips for banking innovation and also suggestions on how to speed up a process and make it to market. So he talks about telling a good story and how the solution is really going to help your customers. And he says, learn new skills and get hands-on with different projects you're involved with. And if IT doesn't have the know-how, try to figure it out yourself or at least get a proof of concept going.
1: Yeah, I think that's really a valuable approach to try it out yourself and, and get the expertise yourself. I think is just the right skill and the right approach in today's ever-changing world next takeaway neo banks focus on technology traditional banks focus on regulation and according to amia technology always beats regulations plus technology can even help you comply and neo banks are already using privacy enhancing technologies extensively to do just that
0: yeah and banks need to figure out really how to embrace privacy enhancing technologies and
1: innovation and
0: privacy can coexist And he talks about how banks really kill too many good ideas because they're really not aware that there are solutions um, which can make these happen in a privacy compliant way.
1: I think this is why this report from Forum is called The Privacy Blind Spot. Uh, Next takeaway. Investing in privacy enhancing technologies allows mature banks to innovate more. Privacy itself is also becoming a competitive space for banks.
0: Yeah, so let's collect or talk about or highlight the most promising privacy-enhancing technologies that Amir mentioned. And these are ones that I I recommend you take notes on. And if you're not familiar with them, do a bit more research. So on the hardware side, he talked about trusted execution environments. And then on the software side, he brought up AI-generated synthetic data, homomorphic encryption, federated learning, and secure multi-party computation.
1: Definitely remember those and... Uh, we highlighted it several times. The report from Mobi Forum is free to download, and there you have a great overview of all of these technologies and the use cases that are most promising for each and every one. Next takeaway, the most important, the two most important use cases for privacy-enhancing technologies, so-called PETs, are data analytics and data exchange or data sharing. If it's important how you do analytics, you should look to encrypted analytics. If the location is important where analytics take place, you should look at secure and trusted execution environments or a decentralized approach like federated learning. And if you want to concentrate on the data and on anonymization, statistically representative AI-generated synthetic data would be a good choice.
0: Yes, and setting up privacy engineering teams would also be a good idea for banks to embrace. And this privacy topic is really unstructured at the moment and responsibilities seem unclear to different teams and stakeholders. And an interdisciplinary approach would be crucial to approach the privacy topic. InfoSec, legal, technology, and business folks should really speak the same language and have common objectives to overcome privacy-related obstacles.
1: Definitely, privacy can't be handled only by one department. They have to work together and collaborate and communicate. Then establish common practices to deal with privacy within processes and within product development. Privacy by design principles have to be implemented across the organization, understand the requirements, and train people to be able to work in this direction.
0: Yeah, and a combination of different skills is truly necessary to make privacy by design actually happen within these organizations. So understanding of business processes, legal frameworks, And privacy technologies play a big role in this.
1: They sure do. Then one of the topics that's still very frustrating to Amir when he's talking with some people in the financial services industry, the difference between pseudonymization and anonymization is often misunderstood. Pseudonymization doesn't make data anonymous. Pseudonymized data is still personal data. In contrast, anonymous data cannot be re-identified. However, legacy anonymization techniques like masking or obfuscation oftentimes fail to fulfill these very high data anonymization standards that were set forth by GDPR. And banks often rely heavily on legacy privacy technologies that in reality do not protect their data, do not protect their customers, and do not protect them from GDPR and other privacy fines.
0: Unfortunately, some companies are finding this out the hard way. Mm-hmm put privacy on the agenda, and engineer a future-proof privacy-by-design solution.
1: That, I think, is the most sustainable approach. And the first good step in this direction is to download the Digital Banking bots Report at mobiforum.org. This report really is a great resource to learn about the privacy problem and its solution for decision-makers, for people who are a little bit too far away from the operational-level privacy problems.
0: Those are great takeaways, Alexandra. Thanks for this excellent interview. And thank you, Amir, for sharing your knowledge.
1: Yes, thanks a lot, Amir. It was my pleasure to talk to him today. And thank you to all of our listeners for downloading our podcast and listening to Amir's episode. If you have any questions, comments or recommendations, please send us an email to podcast at mostly.ai. And if you have a minute or a few seconds, just subscribe. This would be a great help for us. See you next time.